Hi guys, it's Josh Reeder with Douglas Elliman in New York, live on the Ruben Special today, June 2nd, the day after my 45th birthday. I'm joined by none other than my good friend, Eileen Rivera. Welcome to the Ruben Special, Eileen. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking uh, time out of your busy schedule because not only are you coaching a lot of our friends and colleagues around the country with our good friend, Tom Ferry, but you're also still in production so, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about that dynamic, especially over the last couple of months. Um, you know, it's it's such a gift. It's it's complicated at times, a lot of juggling, but it's such a gift because part of the challenge being a realtor is that you get very myopic in your perspective of what's happening in your business and in your own backyard. And I have the great honor and pleasure of coaching and mentoring people in New York City, people in Portland, Oregon, people in Washington State, Kentucky, um, all over the country. So it gives you a very, very different perspective. And the more you can put all the pieces of the puzzle together, the better equipped we all are to help and guide our buyers and sellers. So yeah, I love yeah, you that's know, what I love about it. You, you raise a very good point. And that's one of the wonderful things about what I'm doing Monday through Friday and speaking to people like you is we're not just dealing in the vacuum that is New York with its challenges, but we're speaking to people in Irvine, California, Orange County, San Francisco, Dallas, Texas, St. Augustine, Florida, Boston, Massachusetts. And what it's enabling us to do is really, you know, keep perspective, if nothing else, and knowing that there's there's hope after this and that there is activity in these other cities which have been less impacted by COVID, right? Right. Yeah, ab absolutely. And we know that in every city, even yours, you know, my hometown of, of New York City, um, as as usual, you were you were you were ahead. <laughs> you know, right. you were ahead with trends. Hopefully, you'll be ahead with recovery. Um, but business still happened, right? Very yep. little in New York City, but I know that you and your colleagues were still helping people finish the process that they were in the midst of, and you're back to helping them again. The same thing here in Los Angeles. Um, in, in, in all of Southern California, right? Like we're doing business. And I think one of the most interesting things that high producers, active agents like yourself, Josh, and myself and my team have discovered is it almost made the home buying process more urgent for the people that were in that process. Because yeah. in times of uncertainty, the, the, in my opinion, the two things that deliver the most certainty are home and family. Yeah. Right. So we, I've seen so many people lean into that and it's, it's so satisfying to be a part of that process. Yeah. It really is rewarding to help people navigate the, both the selling and purchasing of what is not only their largest asset, but something that really means more than any other asset, because it's the place where they're raising their family or spending most of their time, especially in these days of the last couple of months, you know, which leads us to the next topic, which is that we've spent so much time on this quarantine that it's led to almost this pressure-like atmosphere. And, you know, with the, the, with the recent case of Ahmaud Arbery down in Georgia uh, and uh, George Floyd down in Minnesota, out in Minnesota, um, it's really led to this, this almost hyperactive environment, hypersensitive environment, um, you know, not just about race, but about 
controls and various governments and, and what it's doing to our society. And we really need to be sensitive to that with the people that we speak to. So do you have any insights or, or wisdom uh, that, that you might share on that? Yeah, I, I do. And I, I do believe it's wisdom born of 25 years in this business. And that is we have to listen. Don't go yeah. into a meeting. Don't go, whether it's a buyer or a seller, an investor, don't go into a situation assuming that we are all feeling the same way. We all come to the table with a different story, and I firmly believe that it is your obligation, my obligation, to answer questions and facilitate the goals of that other person, right? The outcome is you and I built very successful, productive businesses that help a lot of people. That's the outcome. That's not the process. The process is meeting people where they are and help leading them to where they want to go, whether it's on the buy side or the sell side. And it's different for everyone. The, the, you know, what you mentioned, which you were just mentioning a minute ago, what I, I'm listening to and I'm thinking, and for many, many families in this country, generational wealth started with real estate investment. Yeah. And there's a legacy of that. And we have to respect and protect that and honor those people that truly come to us because they trust us and they want us to facilitate their goals, not because of our agenda. No, that's right. And and listening is really at the heart of what we do. And, And that's the beginning of the relationship and one that is built on a foundation of trust. And so, you know, first and foremost, we need to listen to the people that that we're both working with, whether it be clients or colleagues, and understand what the root of the matter is so that we can really help drive the process forward and understand it so that we can all reach a solution that works best for the people that we're listening to. Absolutely. And, yeah. and again, that's, you know, that's an art, that's a discipline. And you and I have talked about this before. The, the other step in the process is you have to know when you reach that fine line of you've discovered, and now this is the moment where your expertise and guidance brings so much value to that person, right? And that's when you step in and you lead and you say, oh, I've got this. I can show you how to get from here to there. Right. And, you know, you specifically bring a unique perspective to that process, right? That is because you have made yourself an expert on what we call the DISC profile. Mm -hmm. So can, can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you've been able to implement it in your daily interactions with people and, and that's enabled you to further help them? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, as a young agent, which was a very long time ago, um, I, I wanted to be good enough. I wanted to know enough. I wanted to be the expert, like learn, learn, learn on the pro. And of course, there's market expertise and, and expertise that you need to gain in the process. Of course, we all need to have that. But then what I fell in love with was understanding people and realizing that you're not going to deal with a with an engineer the same way that you're going to deal with the kindergarten teacher, right? The right. facts of the market are not going to change. The facts of your knowledge and expertise are not going to change. But you have to have enough respect and insight to what that person needs to show up and talk to them in their language. So when I meet with, for for the longest time, the ones that were really tough with me, and I've had some fabulous clients that are, that are engineers, that are CPAs, that are accountants. I actually had a rocket scientist one time. 
<laughs> 15 years ago. And I got so nervous when I researched him and it was, it was, he lived out of the area. He was selling his um, sister's property in, in my community. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's got like three masters and two PhDs and has actually worked for NASA. It's not a joke. <gasps> How am I ever going to get this job? And I just researched and researched and researched and I packaged the data so it's, it's in, in so many different formats that, first of all, it was a sign of respect, right, to someone yeah. who was doing a significant business transaction and had lost someone that they loved and was very close to them. So my prep and how I showed up instantly showed respect, number one. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, I provided perspectives in how you view the market differently than the other three realtors that he interviewed, Right. Yeah. So again, my success is less about, oh, I'm so brilliant and I'm so bright and, you know, look at what I've done. And my success is very much attributed to being of service to my to, to my consumer. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you raise a good point because so many people in our position, they might do a CMA, they might not. But it's really about understanding who your customer is, who you're in front of and how best to package the information because some of them just want to hear your opinion and they'll go with it depending on the relationship and where they're coming from. Other people like the proverbial rocket scientist want to see the black and white and the relevant data and make their own decision. And sure, you can share your opinion, but you need right. to have the data that supports that opinion. You can't just say, well, I'm going to stick my finger in the air and based on the direction of the wind, I think that you can get you know this much for the house. You really have to have the data that supports it. And in some cases, I just spent my entire morning putting together an email to a past client who is a uh, multiple Fortune 100 uh, CEO. Uh, I won't get into names or specifics, but he's led a number of multinational uh, financial services firms. And uh, he's a smart guy. Let's put it like that. And mm -hmm. um, I put together an email that not only had my opinion, but also had the data. And, and, you know, the three sets of data available pending and what's recently sold. What's in, interesting about this is that the interesting, the, the, the recently sold data had a wide range of sales. Price per foot range from a low of $1,700 to a high of $3,600 because his unit is very specific. So you have to include everything that might be, you know, just somewhat relevant. And so I said, you know, here's three things within that set that you should be cognizant of. And boom, 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 boom. And so that's why your price is X. And, and he saw it for what it is. And we're going to be listing his home, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks for $15 million. It could be as much as 20 million, but it's just not, it's a $15 million right. home. Yep. And with your strategy, with the strategy I know that you use and that I use with pricing and protecting our clients is we know how to go to market to discover what's possible. Right? right. Instead of going to market to test what we already know is not possible, but the consumer's like, you know, but how close can we get? Well, you want to discover what is possible. We do it this way. We're aggressive. Yep. We're strategic. You know, we're multifaceted in our approach. And then we identify what the market can bear. We just had one. It's interesting. Not, not a, not a high powered CEO like you have, but I have a client right now who um, were pretty much at the end of the transaction and we debated list price. You know, we had a, a healthy, respectful discussion and yep. he, um, 
And I mean, this is a gentleman who's an attorney. He's a dean of a law school. He's, I'm sitting in his house and hearing stories about the two chief justices of the United States that he has hosted in his home. Um, you know, that really impressed me. No matter how old I am inside, I'm still the kid from the Bronx, right? You know, I'm, I'm yep. the girl from the Bronx. So that's yep. like, whoa, this is, this is impressive. And I'm very comfortable, as, as I know you are, Josh, telling sellers, this is what I can control, this is what you can control, and then we discover what the market has to say. Because yeah. to go in and say, I know, as if I had a crystal ball, is absurd. I know that I have 25 years of experience, and I can protect you, and I can deliver results. I can't tell you you're going to get 20 million for your apartment versus 15 million, right? That's right. That's that's absurd. Yeah. So. No, that's right. And anyone that tells you otherwise is just you know spitting in the wind. They you know, and and that that person really can't be trusted. So you know, it comes back to what we were saying earlier about trust being an integral uh, cornerstone of the foundation of what we're trying to do in building these relationships. And a lot of that is based on telling people what they need to hear. It's not necessarily telling them what you think they want to hear. Right. Right. So because, because that, we, you and I take our jobs, we take our jobs and our profession and our obligation to our client the way a doctor would deal with us. Right. I don't, I don't have an MD. You don't have an MD, but you don't tell people when it comes to their physical health or their financial health, ideally you tell them the truth and what's possible, not what they want to hear. We're not, yeah. we're not selling shoes you know, at, at the van store where you're, you're selling a $15 million property. Yeah. Right? So, so I, Eileen, you and I are both, you know, we, we are, uh, we have a mutual admiration and respect for one another, uh, or longtime friends. And I saw a post that you put up on, uh, social media the other day and you referenced, uh, it was when your, your kids were young and you referenced, uh, back when you were living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So, can you bring us back to that point? <laughs> what specifically? <laughs> um, I, I lived in a very modest house. My husband had a corporate job that provided for our family. We were comfortable. Um, I had four young children I was raising. Um, the economy took a hit. He was a product of corporate downsizing. Um, this is what, what year approximately? Oh my gosh. Um, I've been licensed for 25 years. So a long time ago <laughs> in the, in the late nineties, 25, about 25 years ago. Yeah. Some, sometime mm -hmm. in the nineties, Gary got laid off. Um, uh -huh. and probably early nineties come to think of it. And, yeah. you know, we lived, we, we lived paycheck to paycheck. He got a little severance package. We figured out how long we could stretch that. We did whatever we could to hold on to our house and um, keep our, you know, keep, keep the kids safe and, and as unaffected for the children as possible. I think most of us do that as parents during hard yep. times. Yep. Um, and then, you know, he got a job. We were on our feet again. I got my license. And I was a hobbyist in this business for the first five years. I had kids at home. And literally, like the first time I got a paycheck from selling a little house, probably, I don't know, it was probably three fifty, four hundred thousand back in the day. It yeah. was like I'd never seen that much money in one check in my entire life. Okay. <laughs> I wish I'd been the responsible person that I am now 
actually, I, you know, I don't know who all is going to watch this, but in our language, um, Josh, my first sale was a FISBO that I prospected to because I went to a training event, got the listing, sold them a house. Okay. And I don't, I don't remember about the, about the buyer. That check was $17,000. It was August. I paid off credit cards. I went Christmas shopping for the kids in August, <laughs> put everything in big bags. I remember this in the garage and hit it. Credit cards. I probably bought myself something, put some money in the bank and didn't go back to the real estate office until like the next year. Really? So yes. you did one, I, maybe two deals. And then I, did, I, I did. Right. It was a couple deals combined. It was a stat. What I remember is that $17 ch- paycheck, $17,000. It was right. mind blowing to me. And right. that's what I mean about being a hobbyist for the first five, five years or so. I right. joke, I joke that when I got serious about the business, the girls were 13, 15, 17, and 19. Because if you're the mother of four teenage daughters, going to work is really fun and exciting. <laughs> a little bit of a vacation, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, all the drama. Dads do better with those teenage years. So, yeah. And then I got into coaching and, and met Tom a long time ago um, in his, in his, with his previous company. Um, he's changed my life. He's changed your life. He keeps us ahead of everything that's happening in our industry so that we yeah. can better serve our clients. So, no, that's, so, it's, it's very true. I mean, he's had a dramatic impact on my life and, uh, and, and, you know, countless others. I mean, yes. yours, yes. Glenda's, a lot yeah. of our friends and a lot of people we don't even know. Yeah. Um, now, what made you sort of hit the switch and go from a hobbyist to saying, I'm going to take this on as, as a career and build it. Um, I had a tremendous amount of insecurity. Um, I, I, you know, I felt like I didn't have all the degrees and all the, um, the, the credentials that come with being a successful business person. You know, it was like, I'm a good salesperson, but I discovered that my superpower pays really, really well. And my superpowers are, that I am empathetic, that the client does come first, and I am now and will be a lifelong student of our industry and every component of it, from the financing end to, you know, cap rates and returns and multi-units. There is nowhere in the world, Josh, that you or I couldn't find a great agent that we needed anywhere in the world within an hour because of our network. Right. Yeah. So, so I leaned into all of those things and then realized that in residential real estate, 90, you're talking about personality. So there's exceptions, you know, everybody's, you're always going to run into somebody that's really cynical and no matter what, they're never going to smile. And you know, that personality type, that's okay. I, I, I can work with anybody, but probably about 85 or 90% of people, um, if they feel safe with you and they know that, that you, know, you know your craft, you know your industry, and you're a consultant, not a salesperson, and you're protecting them, they, nobody's ever asked to see my PhD or my MBA or any of that. I wouldn't, you know, I'd love to have them, no disrespect, but right. 
it, it wasn't required. So I went from that insecurity of what, who am I to be dealing with these, with people, with these big numbers and money. And maybe I should be selling, you know, shoes at Nordstrom or something if, if I want to go into sales. <laughs> um, and it was just, you know, it was through experience and then some hunger and fear financially with my family. And, yeah. I, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm still, there's still room to keep getting smarter. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've noticed a reoccurring theme, both in the conversations that, that I've been having the last couple of months uh, with our friends and, um, and just anecdotal evidence of other successful people that I've met in the business. And, and there's one commonality and that is fear. And, and people are afraid of not having enough. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people come from, come from backgrounds where they didn't have enough or some period of life where what they had was, was threatened. In other words, they were afraid of it being taken away. So you mentioned Gary's being laid off. You had this little piece of severance and you saw this sort of cliff that you're about to go off the end of and you had to figure it out. And, yeah. and it was that necessity that enabled us to get on the right path for success. Um, so I know I, I experienced that in 2008. I was in the middle of a renovation. I had two lines of credit. I went to an ATM one day. I had $6 left uh, in the ATM and in, in, in all of my, all of my accounts. And I had a house, a mortgage, two cars, uh, a wife. At that point we had, uh, three kids and two cats and I had $6. Okay. So I have to ask you, I know you're the interviewer, but I have to ask you. So was that the moment? Was that the, the pinnacle of fear? And then you went into action or did you like, you know, did you curl up for a while before you came out of it? I never curled up. I just said, well, okay, what are you going to do about it? Yep. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yep. So what did I do? You know, I, I, got in the, I got in the ring. I put my gloves on and I fought like hell. And, you know, now I'm one of the most successful realtors in the entire country. Absolutely. And so that was my rock bottom. Right. And yep. from that point forward, I just said, there's no looking back. There's no, there's, there's nowhere to go but up from here. Right. Yep. And so what are you going to do? So I went out like you, I went out and I prospected Fizbo's. I prospected expireds. I said, well, you know what, what lead source is free. And I went out and I got a for sale by owner and that for sale by owner, I I did a direct deal on. So I double ended it, right. Got a low appraisal kids spring break, 2009. I was in Disney world with my kids and we got a low appraisal of about 15% below the contract price. And I, I, I spent the entire week on the phone with the appraiser fighting the report. And I finally got him to come up to contract value, yes. did the deal, double-ended it. That seller referred me someone else who had been on the market with another broker, was an expired. And uh, I sold that apartment. And in, at that apartment, I met someone else who in turn, it's funny how we can kind of wireframe our business. Uh-huh. Like, you know, oh, I met George. He was a Fizbo. He referred me to Mark. Mark's listing. I met, you know, Tim and Jessica. Jessica referred me to, you know, their friend who I in turn did a, you know, I did a $10 million deal and a $7.5 million deal. And like from then on, it's just like, it's like a rocket ship, right? And it's just incredible what we can do. And what is that that affects our success? Uh-huh. At the end of the day, if we distill it all down, what is it? It's one thing. It's mindset, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so I could have curled up in a ball and said, holy shit, I have $6 in the bank and a hundred and actually more than that at that point. I have $500,000 in debt between my mortgage, my line of credit, and the two other uh, credit lines that I had. And I $6 in hard currency, right? So I could have said, oh my God, you know, forget it. I'm going to fold up the tent and pack it in and go, you know, but what did I do? I kept on digging, right? And only then did I hit pay dirt. So I would say for all of us who are struggling in these times, and I know the majority of the agents out there are struggling because we haven't been able to show homes. There's a lot of uncertainty, but keep on digging because there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, listening to you in that process that you went through, you know, on vacation, taking downtime with the kids and the family, yet so committed to the business. Um, In our industry, we see all types, right? We see people that have left um, really successful careers for one reason or another to come into real estate. And they're every age and every ethnicity, every weight, every height. And I am a true believer for the realtors listening to this, for any salesperson listening to this, nothing outperforms work ethic. Nothing. You can be talented. You can have resources. You can be, you know, pretty or handsome or or look like you came off a movie set. If you are not disciplined and consistent, you will never build a business. You'll ride the roller coaster of real estate your entire life. Right. Because they'll be like you getting that $17,000 check. Holy shit. I got a $17,000 check. I'm rich. You know, you're starting the whole year over again, like, oh boy, oh, you know, so. Or like you getting over encumbered. I bet since then, is it fair? Is it fair? Because I don't really know. Is it fair to say that you became fiscally more conservative? Not that you don't do investments, not that you don't do projects, but have you ever again put yourself in that vulnerable of a situation? No, not not to that degree. I mean, right. I, you know, I never expected 2008 to un- unroll the way that it did. And, you know, when I committed to this renovation and the lines of credit and, you know, they were just there as like safety nets. And the next thing you know, I was, I was literally living paycheck to paycheck. I was maxed out on every credit facility I had just paying the minimums off. And like, wow, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was basically financial suicide, right? But I got through it. I paid off all the debt, you know, lived in that house for a few years, put a couple good years together, was able to move to the other side of town Mm -hmm. to a house that I had always admired from afar, but I wound up being able to buy it at, you know, and just when it was starting to take off again, I took advantage of the recession because of my mindset and able to put 2009 and 2010 and 11 together. And then in 2012, this opportunity presented itself. So Mm -hmm. it worked out, it worked out really, really well. So after 25 years in the business, Eileen, and the first few years, you're sort of a hobbyist, and then, you know, you put your, you know, sort of your, your proverbial uh, construction hat on and you got to work. Um, what, was, what was one deal that sort of stands out to you as being the most memorable? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, have, I have several and I would say that they're situational. Um, some taught me about the business. Some taught me about people and some taught me about myself. So the ones that taught me about myself was when I listened to the, to to who I am, my wiring of being of service and nurturing, um, because I used to think, oh, that's not professional. 
right? Like, you know, you don't love on sellers, you don't this, you don't that. And in the neighborhood that I live in, that I do a lot of work in, I've met people in, in serious crisis and I lead with my humanity. It's not a strategy. It's just being comfortable with this is who I am and reading the people, you know, if, 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 if that's invited, if that's appropriate and leaving that appointment or closing that transaction and knowing that these human beings, this family are a chapter in the story of my life, not just my business and suspecting that it's vice versa. It's not every deal. You know, I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of transactions, but there's a few of those that sit with me. The ones that have taught me the most are the ones that I thought I had absolutely no chance of being the person chosen. And I was, and then I thought, okay, I'm one of the things I teach my team and, and in our industry is every transaction that you do every time you present, I don't care if you're a brand new licensee or if you're Josh Rubin, I think that you need to stop at the end of that transaction or at the end of that meeting and in writing recap, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What surprised me? What else could I have done? And if you, at our level, maybe not every time, but I think periodically we have to do that because that's how we raise the bar of what we deliver to our clients. So yeah. that, those are the memorable ones, like it, the, the emotional ones. And then the ones where I thought, wait, they're actually interviewing eight agents. Like who does that? Who has that kind of time? You <laughs> right. know, and, and it's a multi-million dollar listing and a product in a city where I've never sold anything. I've been there twice. We, yeah. sold, we sold a property, uh, um, a multi-million dollar historic property on Catalina Island, which New Yorkers probably just know from a, from a Beach Boys song or something. But, <laughs> but it was like, we, we got the listing. Like, we nailed it. They loved us. It was a perfect transaction. They couldn't believe the marketing plan that we had designed for them. And it was like, okay, at some point, I have to own that I'm good at this, right? Humility is great, and it's how I'm wired. But I also had to realize I'm really good at this. I'm yeah, this really is this is your moment. You've come yep. to this point where exactly. not only are you in consideration, but you are likely the most qualified person exactly. for this job. And it was earned, right? You and I, we, we, I couldn't say that 25 years ago. It didn't, I didn't just show up and was great. I skinned my knees, right? I fell a lot of times. I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't that person ever, that kid that got on the two wheeler and just took off. Right. I, I, I have a history <laughs> of skinning my knees, but I learned. Yeah. I learned. So yeah, I love it. I love the ones that teach me. I think yeah. those are, how, how about you? I mean, can I ask you that question? Are there any that are particularly memorable in terms of the surprise or the lesson? Um, you know, I, I did a, I did a deal recently with, uh, Anthony Mars from, uh, from Corcoran and, um, you know, it was one that just felt natural, like, you know, everything lined up just perfectly. I knew that he was the listing agent, so we were going to be treated with respect. Um, and I knew that, um, you know, it was going to be a house that was better fitting to the client's needs rather than the house that they had uh, negotiated on previously that didn't work out. And, and we walked in and it just felt like a, a pair of comfortable shoes when you step into the house. 
and it just mm-hmm. it just worked out perfectly. It happens to be a deal that I did in the, in the last year, but it it really it really worked well, and everybody's very happy with it. And we got it at a good good price, and it was in good condition, great location for these young women that bought it. So everybody's everybody's happy, and it's just one of those it's it's one of those deals that it wasn't necessarily easy getting to that point, but once we got to it, everything just felt you know, comfortable right at, right at home, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, and so, you know, that, that felt good. That was a past client who was purchasing a house for his two daughters to live in. It was sort of like a two or three family. And, uh, you know, uh, Rachel's going to have one apartment. So he's going to have the other. So that, that was, that was one that just felt good. Um, there was another one, uh, a number of years ago, believe it or not, where I was still living in Brooklyn and I had these friends who were a couple and they were sort of quirky. And I, I looked at the house around the corner and I would always admire this house. And there was this movie that came out and it was uh, called the Royal Tannenbaums. And uh-huh. uh, this, this couple kind of reminded me of the Royal Tannenbaums, you know, this sort of quirky family. And uh, they called me up one day and said, Josh, you know, we want to get out of the West village. And uh, so I said, okay. They said, yeah, it's just become too trendy. And we liked it because it was super gritty. And now it's just become this homogenous sort of mollified <laughs> neighborhood. And we want to get out. We want, want to move to Brooklyn. I said, okay, great. So yeah. we drove around uh, all, all of Brooklyn looking for a house. And we came close to one and then close to another. And then this house that came up and it happens to be right next door to this house that was used for the exterior shot of the Royal Tannenbaum's house. <laughs> Okay. And it was it was uncanny. It happens to have been right around the corner from where I was living, and and we went in. We saw it, and all of us had this light bulb go off over our head, like, "Oh my God, this is the house!" And it was the one, but it had just come on. We made an offer right away, but they didn't want to respond to it. We said we want to have our open house this Sunday. We were like, "Oh shit!" You know, we're not going to get this. It's going to go into multiple bids, and then Mother Nature took over, and Mother Nature put a uh, snowstorm right on top of their open house. And so no one came <laughs> and ours was the only offer that came in and the seller said, okay, great. You have a deal. And so I we bought it. it. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, everything just came together. And so Charles and Tanya still live there today and uh, you know, everybody's happy. So, you know, things just work out the way that they're meant to, you know, yes. sometimes, you know, there's a saying in our business that we get frustrated when we don't get a listing. But then we look back on it and we realize, oh, there were title issues or termite issues, some foundation issues. The house never sold. You know, the seller was crazy. And so there's a saying that sometimes the listings that we don't get are the, are the best listings, right? Absolutely. And so when things don't work out to our advantage, there, there's usually a reason. There's a higher power. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. I so, share that with buyers and sellers. Um, one, one of the, the, from the perspective of, um, with the attorney that we were, that I was just telling you the story about, it's like, again, this is what I can control. This is what you can control, right? You can't control the snowstorm, but it served your client, right? It worked out for the best. Right. And it, it, it's ridiculous to, to try and sell someone. And you and I have seen it. We've talked about it with, with some folks in our, in our profession where it's like the constant tap dance and two-step. It's like, no, 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 just be a vehicle to accuracy and to facts and to knowledge and to insight, right? right. Be, be, you're not, I'm not selling shoes at Nordstrom. I don't right. even know if they're going to open again, by the way. But <laughs> Just the facts. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's an important, you know, um, lesson to learn. It's just, you know, don't get emotional, just focus on the reality of the situation Mm -hmm. and help people get through it and understand that, you know, there, there is, you know, there is something beyond the stress that they're feeling in the course of the, the process of the transaction. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah. So Eileen, is there anything that you'd like to leave us with today? Any morsel that, you know, cause everybody's so on edge with everything that's going on with the riots and the looting that's happening across the country and, you know, coming out of this pandemic with COVID-19, it seems to almost be a distant memory now, given that everybody's focus is turning on to, uh, turning on to, uh, uh, you know, the, the protests. But there must be something, because I know you're, you're not only extraordinarily intelligent, but you're super warm and in touch with humanity. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's a space that we need to be in, is our humanity. And when you look at some of the atrocities that have been um, committed, we'll look back at history and some of the atrocities that, that kids study in school, it's like, some of that, you know, my, my grandkids or my grandkids' kids will study someday because of what's happening now. It's so sad. It's so heartbreaking. And each and every one of us has the opportunity to be in the world and be a light and not fuel that fire and not talk like we're experts, but talk like we're family, a, commu- a family that's a community on our teams, with our clients, um, just really try to stay out of judgment, stay safe, and be out there and be your best self. Stop effing, I'm not going to say it, even though, I don't know, we're with a bunch of New Yorkers, I probably could. <laughs> Stop effing judging. I have an enormous advantage in my career because I was born and raised in New York City. My father in the 60s and 70s was a successful jeweler on 47th Street between 5th and 6th. And I grew up hearing my parents talk at the table. I I don't have no, that area doesn't, it's not even as attractive the last time I was there as it was when I was a kid. Maybe it's, you know, my, my, um, my, my memories are, are a little um, enhanced, yeah. but one of the lessons in my home as, as a daughter of immigrants who, you know, came over before the Bay of Pigs, my parents were both born in Cuba, but then did bring their family, their, you know, their siblings and their parents over, there were a lot of lessons at the dinner table, and a huge one was, didn't even understand it, but as a very young child, I knew that my father was the only non-Hasidic jeweler on 47th Street that the Hasidic community dealt with, huh. right? It was like, it was, it was a point of pride and honor for him that he had developed that reputation of trust and integrity and intelligence that there were things that he had opportunities to do because of his, because of the respect that others did not. And it was an early life lesson, didn't know it at the time, of treat everybody with respect, be your best self. If you're going to point the finger, make sure it's you you're pointing it at. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's really basic, but it's like there's just not enough of it out there. I cannot, I, I feel a little naive. Like I'm really disheartened by how much ugliness still exists. Yeah, it's really incredible. And, you know, I've, I've been preaching this, Ever since I was a kid, I, when I was 13, I wrote an entire bar mitzvah 
speech. In fact, it was a benign mitzvah, meaning that my bar mitzvah was paired along with uh, another girl who I was friends with from elementary school. And we were, we were both born bar mitzvah together. Uh-huh. So it was her family and friends who I really didn't know. And my family and friends, approximately 200 people. Wow. And I decided I was going to write a speech <laughs> about racism. <gasps> 13 years old. Really? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I've been preaching this since I was even younger than that, because one of the greatest teachers I ever had was Mrs. Weldon in the first grade. And I used to come home speaking very highly of her. And she was, you know, she really touched me. My parents went in for the parent teacher conferences and they came out and they said, oh, Josh, you know, Mrs. Weldon, you know, says you're great and you're doing really well. And my father, who came out of, you know, the, the, the tensions of the 50s, 60s, et cetera, um, and he, you know, he grew up in inner city Philadelphia, but he commented that he was surprised by the fact that I never mentioned that she was a black woman because it was never an issue for me and it, and it still isn't. And so today right. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm effectively married to a black woman, by the way, who's from yeah. Trinidad and, yes. and, and, uh, you know, race has never been an issue for me. So to, to yeah. grow up in the society where there's still racial tensions today is really remarkable because like you said, we need to stop judging people and we need to start loving one another. Right. hundred percent. And you can, and you can, you know, you can dislike and the idiots out there, right? I'm not saying that there's not evil and there's not bad people, but we have to stop um, painting society with a broad stroke, right? It, it, it's not, you can't do it. You can't right. do it. You felt that way in your childhood. I grew up in New York in the 60s and 70s. I felt exactly the same way. Growing up in New York City, the daughter of immigrants and going from, so, um, my dad used to say I was his lucky charm, right? Because my <laughs> siblings, I was the oops baby, okay? So my brothers, my siblings are 8, 10, and 12 years older than I am. And they remember struggling. And I know the story that when I came, was brought home from, I think it was called Woman's Hospital in Manhattan, I came home to an apartment in Harlem, right? But my father started building his business and his success and doing the things you and I have done in our careers. And I cannot believe what a gift it was growing up in New York City with all of the diversity, with all of the challenges that our family had, with all the triumphs that they had. Like it doesn't even some, and and I know a lot of people don't get what you and I are saying, but like it doesn't even occur to me to judge someone because of the color of their skin, their accent, or their age, right? Like, I'll judge. Like, really? You're being rude to that to that checker? You're like yep. 17 and they're helping you and you're being an ass? I'm going right. to judge you. Right. Or their sex, uh, right? Well, yes. Yes. We, I know a lot of really badass men and women of all age or, or, or sexual persuade. You know, no, it's absurd. I don't get it. But it's everywhere. I it's, had the opportunity, uh, Eileen, in the course of our business, to meet Patricia Arquette, who is, of course, uh, you know, an Oscar yes. and SAG award-winning a- actress. And uh, Patricia made a speech a couple of years ago at the SAG Awards when she when she won um, about equality and and you know and pay within Hollywood, and it really touched a nerve with me because I was raised by a single mother. So when mm-hmm. I met her within five minutes, uh, I had to tell her that that her speech really resonated with me. And, and, you know, that 
you know, I think she found that remarkable that a someone was actually listening to her, and b <laughs> two or three years later, someone actually remembered it enough yeah. to to make a comment to her. So, you know, with that, Eileen, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your hectic schedule between your production and your coaching clients. Always a pleasure to spend time with you and and grace and have you grace us with your intelligence and perspective. Thank you so much. Thank you.